Welcome to InfoSecurity Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights, topical debate, and expert interviews from the information and cybersecurity world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this February episode of the InfoSecurity Magazine podcast. My name is Beth Mondral, and today I'm joined by our news reporter, Kevin Poirot. Uh, Welcome to the episode, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, a really interesting topic that I I won't take all the credit for the information you've pulled on this one, actually, Kevin, because you've done a lot of work to uncover the issues behind cyber attacks that are affecting small and medium-sized enterprises, so SMEs. Um, They are the new frontier for cyber criminals. Forget the mega corporations. Yes, they are targets, but today we're going to focus on smaller businesses. So with those big enterprises stepping up their cybersecurity postures, SMEs are often seen as an easier target, they have less robust defences, and they do often hold sensitive and obviously for the cyber attackers, juicy data uh, like customer records and financial information. But here's the thing, an attack on an SME can be just as devastating as one against a mega corporation. And in fact, it can be worse, potentially shutting down businesses entirely. And we have seen this in the past where a small organization just cannot recover from the cost of a cyber incident. Here at InfoSecurity Magazine, we have um, noticed the conversation shift to focused more than ever on defending small businesses, And that's what our guests will be talking about later in this episode. So Kevin's spoken to two experts in the field focusing on small and medium-sized enterprises. So later, you'll be hearing from Simon Whitaker, who is the CEO of Vertical Structure, a consultancy based out in Belfast. And then later, we'll be talking to Jill Thomas, who is the Director of Engagement, Capacity and Resilience Programs at the Global Side cyber alliance she's going to be talking about some of the tools available to those smaller businesses Um, but before we hear from them kevin as i said you've been diving into this topic and doing some research and pulling out some of the reports and stats around small medium-sized enterprises and cyber attacks that we've covered here recently at the magazine yeah, that's right. I've I've been uh, reading some of the the reports that we we've been uh, doing, uh, we've been covering over the past few months, uh, and um, I've noticed that, uh, for example, according to a recent report by Trend Micro that we covered, um, even the biggest names in ransomware as a service, the ones that the ones like uh, Club or or the recently disrupted Logbit and Black Cat. We're now favoring businesses with under 200 employees in search for an easiest route to a quick payoff. And more recently, even um, in February, cybersecurity vendor Kaspersky observed a new phishing campaign specifically targeting SMEs. And there are undoubtedly many more like this out there. But but in fact, we 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 have some figures on that as well uh, that we covered over the past few months. Uh, last October, for example, we reported that nearly half, uh, that is 48% of SMEs, have experienced at least one cyber incident in the past year. 
This came from a survey conducted by Sage, uh, an accounting software provider, and um, Sage actually um, held a, an event to to uh, launch their their report. Uh, and I, I attended the event, and someone from um, from Rush Healthcare, which is uh, one of Sage's customer, uh, came to share her experience of, of being attacked by by a cyber attack and um uh, so she she's she was she's called cindy cleesby she's she's a russia spokesperson and she she said two months after we decided to change our data hosting servers the providers we were working with who was hosting most of our data was hit by a cyber attack they then shut down the systems for six months meaning we had to do a lot manually during that time including invoices so as we can see with this example, a lot of these SMEs, they have to go back to pen and paper. And obviously it's it's probably less efficient, but they're they're losing a lot of money. Uh it's it's very it's a lot of um it's a lot of faff really for for probably um everyone across uh across the business. But but sometimes the the impact can can be even more devastating. Uh, sadly, a lot of them have to shut down business because of a cyber attack. Um, I remember seeing um, uh, an order report saying that uh, around 60% of uh, SMEs actually have to shut down after a cyber attack. Uh, it's very hard to so, so take this number with a pinch of salt. Obviously, it's very hard to have um, comprehensive figures on that. But but we, there are several reports saying that um, the the impact of a cyber attack to an SME is usually uh, bigger and more more significant than than to a bigger um, a bigger corporation. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up that example there as well, Kevin, because sometimes we talk about these things and it's hard to connect it with someone that's experienced it in real life, but doing things manually. Okay, it sounds like a quick fix and an easy solution, but for six months, that's a long time. That's a lot of people that disrupts the business from top to bottom and can be really, like you said, devastating for a lot of organisations. And we have certainly seen companies suffer uh, huge costs and some of those costs are just not recoverable for small businesses. So, as I said in the intro, that's why um, we wanted this edition of the podcast to be about SMEs and offer some advice and steps for small businesses to take to improve their cyber defences. So, Kevin, you spoke to Simon Whitaker um, from Vertical Structure in Belfast, and um, he had some great takes on the challenges that SMEs face and some of the successes around the effort to protect them and make them more cyber secure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Simon and his company um, are involved in multiple projects involving uh, working with UK-based SMEs. So he's a, a, also an NTSC cyber advisor and assessor. He's a cyber first ambassador and he's been involved in, in a UK-funded cyber essentials program, which has been uh, targeted at helping the, some of the most targeted SMEs in the country, uh, namely it started with uh, with law firms and charities and it's now being extended to um, to some AI tech firm as well. But let's hear Simon about um, on, on some of the, the, the quick fix and, and the things that SMEs can do to um, improve the cybersecurity at no cost. Hi Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show, coming on the podcast uh, today. Um, so today we, uh, I wanted to talk to you about um, how SMEs, uh, small and medium enterprises, 
can can improve their cybersecurity posture, how they can um, mitigate cyber threats and, and what kind of help and assistance they can get. So um, based on your experience, where do you think are the biggest gaps in, in SME's cybersecurity posture today? So I think it depends on an awful lot of different factors, different industries, that sort of thing. Uh, I think the number one thing that we see is that people don't know what to do. Um, I think they're very concerned about something. They know they have to do something, but they don't necessarily know what it is. Uh, so, you know, a lot of vendors come along and they say, yes, you need to buy this piece of hardware and this will solve absolutely all of your problems. Uh, or they say, you know, here's a here's a new piece of software. This is going to prevent everything from going wrong. Um, and, you know, I think in many cases, they just suffer from a lack of advice in many ways, you know, that they get the maybe some some poor advice or they get uh, some advice that uh, isn't necessarily as as tailored to them as, as could possibly be, be, be required. Um, so, you know, one of the most important things I think that any SME needs is, is the right person to ask, the right organization to go to and just say, listen, what am I supposed to do? Um, because there, you know, they, 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 there's so many things out there. And, you know, if we look at this industry, cybersecurity means so many different things to so many different people. Uh, I'm chair of the Northern Ireland Cybersecurity Cluster. We have 50 odd members all working in completely different parts of cybersecurity. Some sell firewalls, some sell services, some sell, some create software that is used in the cybersecurity industry. And each and every one of them is different. Each and every single one of them is a different uh, part of the cybersecurity industry. I also think there's a massive problem with uh, with 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 cost uh, in the fact that many organisations don't know where to spend their money. And again, sometimes they're convinced that you know they just buy a new uh, you know XDR system or a new firewall or a new this or a new that, and suddenly everything's going to go go away. And then they don't actually have the money to 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 do what's needed. One of the things we try to do with all with all of our clients is to help them to look at things from a risk based approach. So what is the actual problem that they're facing? You know, where are the actual gaps? You know, looking at doing a risk analysis and a gap analysis and saying, listen, here is where your here are where your problems are. So let's look at spending a little bit of money there. You know, let's think about things like exercising, cyber instant exercising. There's a new scheme from the National Cybersecurity Center um, uh, where uh, they are doing accredited, you know, they're, they're accrediting organizations to do cyber incident exercising, where they're actually saying to companies, try try and see what happens when something goes wrong. You know, that sort of thing can be really good, really, uh, really beneficial to organizations, maybe in many cases more than buying a brand new piece of software that claims to remove every single virus under the sun. And, um, you know, there are many, many different ways in which uh, SMEs can do things. But what they've got to do is they've got to get that right advice first. Um, I also think that sometimes there can be restrictions from, uh, you know, a, a lack of, of guidance internally. Uh, you know, you look at some organizations that don't have a CISO, for instance, and not everybody has to have a CISO. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everybody needs to go away and appoint the board. But what they do need to do is they need to think about security and they have to have somebody who's responsible for that. When we're working with smaller organizations, one of the things we help to do is to organize uh, the, them to set up a, an information security officer. And that information security officer is, is a named person within the organization. It's the person with overall kind of guidance and responsibility, but it's not, you know, they, 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 
they can be doing a different job at the same time in the SME world, but their job is to is to consider things from a cyber perspective, a security perspective. So, you know, in our world, when we're we're helping organizations to get ISO 27001, for instance, we give them a hat and we say to them, this is what you can say when you when you're putting on your ISO hat. Here is your actual hat. It's like an FBI hat sort of thing. But it means that they have that that understanding and everybody else who works with them has that understanding that they are now talking with their CISO or their ISO head on them. So the overall answer to your question is there are a lot of different factors in the in, in uh, cybersecurity posture, and many of them start at the very basic level. Um, so, you know, we're, we're probably going to talk in a bit, Kevin, about things like cyber essentials and, you know, the thing that UK government is doing to help organisations to understand these things. And one of the things, you know, that you should be doing is to, is to establish a uh, is to establish your baseline. Um, and, uh, you know, I think things like cyber essentials really help you to do that. Mm-hmm. And. Regarding this uh, first point of contact that they 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 don't know where where to find it, um, where would you recommend they go first if there is uh, someone that works in an SME right now listening to us, not necessarily in the UK uh, but in other countries as well? Do do they should they go should they turn to um, government? Should they turn to um, information sharing uh, communities uh, with in their sector, in the sector they operate in? What should be the first people they turn to? So I think so much of this stuff comes from referral, you know, it comes from, from people talking to people. So ask questions to, to people who are going through a similar situation. You know, for instance, in Northern Ireland, we, we have been, we've, we've been doing some work with the Law Society of Northern Ireland. It's a membership body. And they say, uh, you know, here is somebody who knows about cybersecurity. Um, in, you know, in other parts of the world, you know, you will have membership bodies where they basically are saying, uh, you know, we are a group of engineers, engineering com- companies in south of France. You know, what? who has been through a similar situation? So there are some there are some definitely some advantages of going to see a membership body, a membership organization like that. Um, in some parts of the world, you might find that you've got a cybersecurity cluster, a group of companies who are there to help. Uh, to help develop things. Uh, I've already mentioned about, uh, you know, here in, in Northern Ireland, we've got our UK, uh, uh, we've got the cybersecurity cluster. Um, we work very closely with Cyber Ireland, um, which is the Irish cybersecurity cluster. Um, and, uh, you know, there are there are all of those sort of places where people can can go to. You'll also find in many organize, in many countries, there will be a national cybersecurity centre, there'll be a national organisation which will publish information. Um, I've had the privilege of speaking with uh, both uh, both of the previous heads of the UK National Cybersecurity Centre, um, the uh, the uh, previous cybersecurity director from um, the uh, uh, the White House in the US, um, and all of them, to a single person, have have said that the that the the government are there to help them, and that what they're always trying to do is they're trying to provide guidance and advice. So sometimes you might find that the national cybersecurity centres are a good place to go to as well. Um, 
We're also very privileged. Again, here in Northern Ireland, we have a cybercrime team for our police service, police service in Northern Ireland. We've got a fantastic chap, um, Sam Kincaid, um, and his job is to is to help organisations who are experiencing these problems. You will find that there will be something similar in every part of the world. There's somebody who has an interest, somebody who has a, you know, maybe less formal than we're, we're privileged to have it here in, in Northern Ireland. But, um, you know, you will find that there will be these, these people who have an interest. So, first advice would be check your peers ask your peers uh, find out on LinkedIn ask on LinkedIn who has been through a similar process um, and get some get get a referral get a personal referral it's the uh, it's the best way to do it um, probably don't just go with the first mailing uh, email you receive from a cybersecurity company um, saying that they're the best in the world because let's face it every single one of them says that um, but I think that personal referral and where that doesn't work then maybe think about uh, approaching your uh, local cybersecurity or cyber uh, um, uh, cybercrime team or uh, the even the National Cybersecurity Centre for wherever you're located uh, they will always be able to give you some guidance about where to go. And based on your experience, where, when do um, SMEs typically come asking for help? Is it when they're, they're, they've identified an attack? Uh, is that when um, they maybe have a new piece of, uh, of legislation coming up and they want to comply with it or they need to comply with it? Or, or is it any in any other situations? It's, it's in a it's. It's in a it's in, it's in every situation, and um, so uh, we see some very forward-thinking organisations who are doing things like um, you know uh, coming to investigate cyber incident exercising now because they're aware of the fact that cybersecurity is important. They're aware of the fact that these things are uh, are going to uh, are, are rearing their their ugly little heads, um, and what they're trying to do is to uh, you know they're trying to get ahead of the game. Um, unfortunately, we also receive calls sometimes when people are under attack, when you know when they've they've been compromised, they've identified an issue, and in those cases, let me tell you, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a lot more difficult um, to uh, to help an organisation out because you can't actually be sure of what's been compromised and what hasn't. Um, we don't. We don't do instant response. We have a fantastic local partner uh, here in Belfast called uh, Nihon Cyber Defense, who who they do all of that. And they're brilliant at it. But one of the things that the team there do is that they they will set up new email infrastructure, for instance. They'll set up new communication and messaging procedures because you just don't know what's happened. So when they come to you after an attack, it is much, much more difficult. We do also see organisations coming up under uh, under new compliance. So we've seen things like DORA, DORA, um, uh, the Operation Resilience Act, um, which is really starting to, uh, to to be very interesting. We're helping a few companies through their uh, the testing of that, and you know what they need to do to demonstrate their operational resilience. Um, and you know we're starting to see an awful lot of that. Uh, we're starting to see um, uh, things like the Cyber Resilience Act um, and the Cyber Security Act in the EU, which is really starting to compel people to consider cybersecurity. So I think that will be very, very interesting. We also notice that when, whenever there is a news story, when you know someone like yourself breaks a, a story about something, uh, something interesting happening in the world, then you know people start to uh, start to think about uh, about security. The best 
organizations and the ones that we love to work with are those who are doing this because they know it's going to be better. It's going to be better for them rather than because they uh, are facing some new compliance regime or, you know, they've been told they have to by an insurance company or something like that. You know, the best organizations that we work with are the ones who say we're doing this because we think we know that it's worthwhile. We know that it's going to be useful uh, as opposed to the ones who are, who are ticking the box. Um, so, so yes, so so we see it from all different angles. We see all of these organisations, uh, uh, lots of different organisations, coming to us for lots of different reasons. Um, and uh, you know, I think that you know the rise of these ransomware gangs that we've uh, we we read so much about, hear so much about. Uh, you know, organisations are, are starting uh, are much more aware now of, of, of uh, some things that they need to do. And the fact that cyber is a board issue, you know, the cyber should be at that very high highest level of the organisation. And there are a lot of things that governments can do to help SMEs uh, from uh, obviously regulation, as we said, uh, but also maybe um, awareness campaigns go, going around uh, throughout the year, uh, certifications, uh, even we've been talking that there, there's been a um, discussion around um, cyber scoring as well, uh, especially in, in, in Europe. Um, what are the things that from your experience actually work um what if if you could like pick a few that that you really seen res the results of uh in terms of like improving the cybersecurity of smes around you sure uh, so some of the things that we've seen that really really help with uh with improving security uh all around that where, where governments are helping uh include things like uh compelling organizations that want to work with government to have a certain level of cyber security there's nothing nothing that compels an organization more to improve than the fact that they may lose or uh, you know not achieve a tender um, so, you know, that something like that is really, really interesting. So in the UK, for instance, they've had a public procurement note that was released in September of last year, which states that Cyber Essentials and Cyber Essentials Plus are a minimum requirement for working with uh, with government in the majority of different areas. It lists a couple of different places where you don't require Cyber Essentials or Cyber Essentials Plus, but the majority of organizations who want to work with cyber, uh, sorry, with um, the government have to have achieved the UK government standard of Cyber Essentials or Cyber Essentials Plus, depending on what they're, uh, on what they're after. So that is a real, imp you know, that, that is compelling them to do that. That is compelling them to, uh, to, uh, to help the SMEs. I also think that some of the things that have worked very nicely in the UK are things like uh, working together. Um, so uh, again, on our uh, on our uh, um, uh, uh, publication Cyber Tuesday, our, our podcast, we had uh, we've had a few different people coming on to speak. Um, we had uh, in partnership with our cluster, we had um, Lindy Cameron from the NCSC coming on to speak. She gave some fantastic figures of things like if those organisations, I believe it was who have cyber essentials or cyber essentials plus are 80 percent less likely to make an, a, a cyber insurance claim and that's a that's a significant number that's a significant figure now obviously stats can be manipulated things can be changed you know dependent there are caveats to that there's all kind of bits and pieces but that is a way in which governments are helping smes to uh, to to be better at this i also think one of the things that i've seen work really really nicely is collaboration which is the fact that in the UK, the National Cybersecurity Centre work with businesses. So if you are a 
you know, critical national infrastructure organization or you're supplying to a critical national infrastructure and you have an issue, if you report that to the NCSC, the National Cybersecurity Center, they will they will help you out. They will they will give you guidance. They'll give you support and um, they'll they'll work with you to help you do uh, to uh, to understand what's going on. They also provide some fantastic advice beforehand. So some of what we do, for instance, when we're going and training people is to, is to signpost people to content, signpost them to the National Cybersecurity Center discussion about cloud software, about SaaS software, about, um, uh, about AI and the use of large language models, for instance. All of these things, official UK government guidance has been issued and it's good and it works and it's, you know, and, and it makes sense. UK government were one of the first, you know, the NCSC were one of the first to roll back on the, you know, the the password um, uh, claims that, you know, having a long, ridiculous password with no um, uh, made up of letters, numbers and, and uh, special characters was better, uh, you know, and changed on a, every 30 days was better than, than anything else. Um, but actually, they were the first to roll that back because they they, they looked at the evidence. Governments have time to look at that evidence. They have the inclination and they have the ability to do that, which sometimes the private sector doesn't have. So hopefully that kind of helps give an understanding about how governments can help SMEs and some of the ways in which they have done and evidence has shown that to happen in the UK. And finally, what could governments do better or, or more of or maybe even less of um, uh, to help SMEs improve in cybersecurity? Uh, how should they make changes to be even more efficient and i think my question is 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 for governments but also uh considering what you said at the beginning uh that um the private sector uh, cybersecurity vendors would would uh, obviously reach out to a lot of those smes saying my product is is very uh is very efficient is going to help you do this and do that what should they what should their up approach be and how can they can can it be more uh, beneficial for for smes brilliant yes uh, so i think to help uh, governments doing more or less of uh, things i think part of what government can do is to is to continue is, especially in the uk it, doing what they're doing at the moment uh, which is to which is to mandate that organizations need to be a certain level of of of, uh, have a certain level of cybersecurity awareness before they are allowed to do work with organizations, uh, with, sorry, with government organizations. It is, it is one of those things that it will drive, uh, it, a, a, what is it, a rising tide floats all boats, is that the, the phrase I'll use? Um, but yes, I think that you know, they, they, they should do more of that mandating, requiring organizations to have a basic level. You know, I know that in, uh, in the EU, there are some fantastic schemes coming in where they're going to have to, organizations are going to have to uh, uh, certify that their product is valid for the lifetime of the product, that security updates will be released for the lifetime of the product, you know, things like this. I think that's really exciting because it means you'll, you'll have to actually spend some time and effort to make sure your your organization is using a, uh, uh, sorry, make sure your organization is releasing a good product. Everything like that really, really helps. I think as well, uh, one of the things they could do more of is is around the, the partnership side of things. Um, so schemes like, for instance, in the UK, I-100, Industry 100, where they're getting in people from industry into government to talk about cybersecurity. Uh, they're getting people from out from government into industry and sharing information. And, you know, it shouldn't just be a siloed, a siloed thing. 
Um, I was also, when I was speaking to, privileged enough to speak to uh, Kemba Walden recently, who used to be the the uh, the, the White House uh, um, uh, director of uh, cybersecurity, and one of the things that she said is that it's the, is the collaboration between international governments. That is something that governments can do more of. Um, we've seen uh, very recently, you know, with the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, with Lockbit becoming, uh, uh, getting, uh, getting picked up uh, just very, very recently. Um, that is an international, uh, an international solution to an international problem. Um, you know, in, in our case, in, in Northern Ireland, uh, you know, because somebody's attacking a critical national infrastructure in uh, in Ireland, in in you know in the south, that that has an impact on people in the north. If somebody's attacking a power station in Germany, it has an impact on people in France. There are the, the, this these things do not stop at the borders. Um, so a good bit a bit more of collaboration, um, and it's just wonderful to think of the fact that um, you know Kemba Walden and Lindy Cameron and uh, Claire, who's the, I can't remember her surname, who's the uh, the Australian Cybersecurity Minister, are all sitting down and talking uh, talking about this stuff. Uh, I just think that's so exciting. And when it comes to the private sector. I think some of the things that we need to do are that um, we need to stop talking techno babble and stop talking nonsense and actually answer people's questions. Uh, our brilliant head of penetration testing, uh, um, uh, Michelle Simpson, uh, was just reading a, a piece she wrote recently for a, for a publication. And she said that one of the things that annoys her the most was when people don't answer questions and just talk techno rubbish. Um, she, she hates it when people kind of are you're more confused by the time people have finished speaking than when they began. And I think that what we really need to be doing is to is to uh, be uh, be talking uh, real language to real people and helping them to understand what they should be doing. Um, they should also just be looking at uh, trying to fix the basics. If you have a look at the majority of breaches that we see, they are not massive nation state breach with you know the power of a, a country behind them. It's because somebody had a password, a password 01, and a uh, you know, and a, a remote, an RDP port, a, you know, remote desktop port open to the uh, uh, open to the world. You know, those are the, where the breaches happen. So that's what we've got to do is we've got to stop talking techno nonsense. We've got to fix the basics, and we've got to help people to understand what they should be doing. And um, that's uh, that. That would be my two cents. Thank you so much, Simon. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Great to hear from Simon there. A really good chat you had with him, um, Kevin. Interesting at the end there how he was talking about how government should be compelling companies to be secure. Obviously, I guess that's based on his background working in the uh, Cyber Essentials program. And obviously that international collaboration is key. Um, I think that's something we hear a lot, but it's worth um, reminding everyone that it's not just there are no borders when it comes to cyber attacks. Yeah, and, and just uh, speaking about international collaboration, I, I think um, Simon was thinking of uh, Claire O'Neill when he said uh, Claire from the Australian government. Uh, Claire O'Neill is the Australian Minister for Home Affairs and the Minister for Cybersecurity. A great title, by the way, Minister for Cybersecurity. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're all guilty of uh, forgetting names and job titles now and then. <laughs> um, and it's also funny, he talked about um, like talking techno rubbish. And I kind of get it, get what he means. And I think in politics, they say, if you're explaining, you're losing. And maybe that's something we should think about. If you're over explaining something and using a lot of jargon, you're probably losing 
the connection you have with the person or losing their understanding. So, um, yeah, no techno nonsense, as Simon said. <laughs> um, but um, now uh, we'll head over to your kind of second uh, guest that you spoke to, Kevin, about some of the tools that are out there that SMEs can use to become more secure. Yeah, so th there's a lot of guidelines and initiatives. If you just uh, if you just uh, search on on Google uh, guidelines SME cyber, you will find a lot of a lot of these just in English, and I'm guessing there's a lot more in different languages. Um, many governments, including the UK's and the, the US's, uh, share valuable resources um, for SMEs. Um, I think Google uh, very recently launched a, a hacker-backed SME security training scheme. Um, the EU also partnered with partnered with researchers to launch an initiative called uh, EnsureSec in February, so this month. Um, it aims to ensure that SMEs have, have adequate technological knowledge and defenses against hackers and fraudsters. And th these are just a few of them, or uh, there, there's a lot of them out there. But I really wanted to, uh, for this episode, I really wanted to find something that, were, that was immediately ac actionable for um, someone working in, uh, at an SME um, listening to us. So that's why I talked to um, Jill Thomas, Director of Engagement, Capacity and Resilience Program at the Global Cyber Alliance. So the GCA packaged a lot of great, immediately usable cybersecurity tools for free. Uh, it's called the, the Cybersecurity Toolkit for Small Businesses. And, um, and let's just have a, a listen, because um, Jill will guide us through what it offers. Hi, Jill. Thanks for coming on the podcast uh, today. Uh, so I wanted to um, chat with you about uh, something that is very important to us uh, uh, at InfoSecurity magazine, um, SMEs and, and how they can deal with cybersecurity, how they can mitigate cyber threats and also how they can respond to, to cyber attacks or cyber incidents. Um, I know that at the, the Global Cyber Alliance, you um, you have something called uh, uh toolkit for SMEs, for small businesses. Could you maybe start by telling us a bit more about what it is and, and how the idea of, of coming up with this initiative um, started? Yeah, certainly. So the idea of the GCA Cybersecurity Toolkit for small business, it's all about helping those small businesses who do not have the, the time, the resources, the finances or the know-how to actually um, uh, sort of protect them protect themselves or know where to go really to protect themselves so it's those small businesses that that um, are maybe doing nothing assuming that they're not uh, they're not at risk when in fact the st all of the statistics are showing that actually they're at, they're at high risk of of attack and they and there is a number of um, very straightforward uh, steps we call it essential cyber hygiene that if they undertake those steps um, then it will make them significantly um, less attractive shall we say or or significantly reduce their cyber risk and therefore reduce their chances of becoming a victim of cyber attack in in many cases those small businesses just don't think that they're a target when actually a lot of those a lot of those attacks uh, are maybe automated and so it's not necessarily them it's about um, which operating systems are they using for example Example. We look at WannaCry back in 2017, and that was based on um, those um, that were using the Microsoft XP. So those that, that a patch had been released, those that had implemented that were safe. Those that hadn't implemented it or were using an older version of, of um, 
Windows uh, with XP, um, they were they were at risk, um, and and that was an automated attack. It affected billions and billions across across the globe, and in particular, that's the National Health Service service here in the UK, as well. So so we um, set about, and this was through advice from our team of strategic advisors, to see what could be done. We tackle. Um, cybersecurity um, on a global scale, so systemic cyber risk. And, and this we saw as a as something we needed to do something about. So the, the Small Business Toolkit, it brings together all of these, uh, what we call essential cyber hygiene steps into, a, into an easy to follow um, step-by-step approach uh, with tools, with free tools that enable those small businesses to actually implement those controls, to implement those recommendations. So in going through the toolkit, they will be guided through and by the end of it, they will be significantly more safe than they were before. It also helps build confidence as well and um, and enables them to understand because it's um, focused on that specific community, it's put across in a language and um, that they hopefully can understand and make sense to them and alongside that we've got some online training as well that helps deepen that understanding so so it's it's about um enabling them to be safer when they go online and when they do business and i know that the 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 alliance is based uh in in several countries um is the toolkit made for um any english-speaking sme it's um, the toolkit is actually available in six languages. So it's available in English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and Bahasa Indonesia. So it's it's globally applicable and globally accessible. It's been accessed by over from over two hundred countries and territories. We've also had um, over a million visits as well. So it really is um, it really is globally applicable. And we work with partners. Whilst GCA is small, and you mentioned we do have offices in a couple of in a few countries: um, New York, London, and Brussels. Um, we have partners across the globe and we have ambassadors as well across the globe and we work with them to reach all of those vulnerable communities, all of those. Um, and it's not just small businesses. We've got um, tools as well for for other communities, but we're looking more specifically at small businesses. So we work um, with and through our partners to to try and reach all of those small businesses that we can. Just as an example, actually, I use the example of what we've done in Indonesia. So we've worked, um, and this was under the MasterCard Centre for Inclusive Growth. Um, it's called Academy 2.0, and that was an initiative and a, a, a project that was looking at supporting and improving the cyber posture and and a number of other. Um, cyber was just a, a part of that project, um, I should say, but um, that's about improving for entrepreneurs and uh, micro and small businesses across Indonesia. And we trained um, uh, mentors from Mercy Corps. They were uh, micro mentor mentors, and they and they then were able to take um, that training and the toolkit, which we translated into Bahasa Indonesia. And, and actually go out and provide workshops, provide training within the community. And what that meant was that they were actually working um, with their peer groups, understanding the particular threats, the level of maturity within those groups and working 
as a as a cohort meant that everyone was able to benefit from from everybody else and that was you know and that's just one of the examples one of the ways that we we seek to support small businesses and there's uh, several different um, uh, resources that that uh, SMEs and 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 businesses in general can can find online. Uh, a lot of the use of toolkits, toolboxes, or guidelines um, uh, is quite common in in that kind of list. But what I really like with uh, with your toolkit is that um, I've, I've been uh, been I've been um, navigating around it a bit uh, before before our chat and. It's actually a toolkit because it's like a it's like a dashboard with different tools where you can you can use uh, different tools to do several things. Could you maybe uh, guide us through uh, what it looks like and and if someone has never been um, on the has never has ne have never been on the, the the dashboard on the has never seen the, the toolkit? What will they see? What will they find? Yep, certainly. So if they go to navigate to gcatoolkit.org, then um, they, they're then presented with um, a, a, a couple of uh, five options. Which community are you with? Uh, small business, obviously, this is the audience. We also have mission based organisations, individuals, journalists, election officials um, as well. Um, they'll go through to the small business toolkit. There's um, there's actually six steps or six toolboxes, if you like, that they they would work their way through starting off. Um, and as you mentioned, know what you have. So the important thing is to understand what you have, because if you don't know what you have, then you can't protect it. And there may be in going through that exercise, there may be devices that you're unaware of. There may be old software that you're running that you no longer run. If you're not using it, take it off the network. Um, if you are using it, then you need to update um, the operating systems. You need to update to the latest levels and you need to make sure that they're kept up to date. Um, if you're if it's a, a business network, then you need to then think about, well, have I got any less secure devices? IoT de devices, for example, um, are, are often perceived as being insecure. So, so don't have those on your business network. Take them, take them out of the way. Take them off that network um, because that's, a, that's a, an easy way for attackers to come in, if you like. Um, and we've seen many, many examples of that happening. Um, so once you understand what you have, you need to make sure that it's running at the latest uh, level. So that's around patching, the importance of keeping your systems up to date. Also, as well as that, it's it's looking at um, who who's actually using the different things, making sure that you're setting um, access levels according to people's requirements and responsibilities for their particular role that they're doing so that they need to be able to work efficiently and effectively but provide no more access than that and only to those particular um, applications that, that, that they need access to. So if you're in finance, um, that's fine. But if you're maybe in sales, you don't necessarily need access to HR. You don't need access to um, finance. So so se se segregate it, because if an attacker were to come in through that particular person, then um, then they're restricted to, you know, the, the access. It makes it very easy for them to, to sort of then start navigating around the around the network to find what they're looking for, which in, invariably is going to be that sensitive data. What what are your crown jewels 
jewels, if you like, and trying to attack those. So, so it's updating your defences. It's then looking at passwords, making sure again they're they're strong, they're long, they're complex, and they are unique to every account. Um, and and also using two-factor authentication or two-step verification, multi-factor authentication, that gives an additional le level of security there. So that if if your pass if your password and your username is stolen in an attack, um, in a data breach, and there's a there's a tool there, have I been pwned, for example, where you can type your email address in and it will tell you if it's been um in a particular data breach. So so you've got uh, those those kinds of those kinds of things. Um, in there, um, and we've got um, a couple of authenticators um, apps as well in there. Um, we then move on to phishing and malware. That's that's around uh, antivirus. We've also got a um, service that we developed known as Quad9, and that was developed in conjunction with IBM and Packet Clearinghouse. And that's actually protecting the City of New, New York public Wi-Fi sy um, systems. Um, it, it prevents users from accessing known malicious websites. And, and as I say, um, the public of, uh, offices, I think libraries and so forth across New York actually implemented it and put it on their um, on their network. So if you're using pub public Wi-Fi in any of those locations, then you should also be linking through Quad9. Um, but that that takes four minutes. That takes less than five minutes. You can put them on your on your device. It's just changing a few settings. Put it on your device. Um, put it on your routers, um, and that and that provides you with um, protection there. We also um, then move on to the importance of backing up and uh, providing both on and off line backups and move further on to a slightly more complex but important um, um, authentication um, standard known as DMARC, which helps pre um, prevent uh, users from actually, or criminals from actually impersonating you using your exact email address. That's backed up as well with um, a set of uh, train, mini training courses that provides more in-depth knowledge as well. Um, and they take about 15 minutes each. So, so that's a sort of a, a really quick run through, but it it does address those, um, those uh, those critical controls, those that essential cyber hygiene, which if they're implemented, and, and in fact, what we've found, we've got a report on our website that um, implementing the tools in the cybersecurity toolkit, um, specifically against ransomware, can protect up to 72% of those uh, common attack vectors. Great to hear from Jill there, and hopefully some of our listeners will be able to explore that um, GCA toolkit. We'll include links in the episode description. But thanks, Kevin, for bringing our two guests to the podcast. Um, really interesting conversations, and hopefully it's inspired some of our listeners to have a look at what they've got available to them in terms of their cybersecurity of their small uh, businesses. But that is all we have time for today. Um, so, yeah, thank you to our guests, Simon Whitaker and Jill Thomas and Kevin, obviously, for digging up all the information around this topic. But until next time, that's it from me. And we'll see you later. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Info Security Magazine podcast. For in-depth interviews with the industry's leading experts, check out our sister podcast where we sit down with a cybersecurity expert to discuss the hottest topics of the day and their personal journey into cybersecurity. 
And of course, for more news, analysis and expert insight, head to the InfoSecurity Magazine website at infosecurity-magazine.com.